Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Adam, how are you doing this fine, fine day? Well, you know, I uh, just got back from New York Comic Con, whining and dining with the superstars. And that was uh, a, you, you joke <laughs> about that. I have seen you. I've seen pictures of you from New York Comic Con, very literally whining and dining with superstars. All right, there was no dining. I did not mention this on the uh, the con special last week, but uh, yes, uh, I did mention that Jerry Duggan lost his voice at his own book release party, but I did not mention that I was at that book release party and having beers with the likes of like John Hickman and Rod Reese and etc. Look at name dropping so, boy over here, little well, Mister Little Mister New York <laughs> Metropolitan over here, rubbing <laughs> elbows. With all these big wigs who refuse to do interviews and <laughs> don't want to talk about X-Men for the rest of their lives. I don't know if John said that. We did not talk about X-Men. We had some beers and talked about the con and things going on in the world. And uh, it was nice. You know, these are real people. And if you take them away from a comic book convention and, and don't bother them too much about comic books, they're they're just very friendly, normal folks. So uh, did you bother? Did you bother him about how Clemson's doing this year? Uh, no, no, we did not get into sports. That is, uh, that didn't seem like it was part of the, I don't know. Well, listen, number five, Clemson. I bet John, I bet Johnny, Johnny Hicks has got a lot of thoughts about Clemson. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Um, so I did make a mistake last week, uh, in telling folks that we we're going to be talking about Halloween this week. We are not talking about Halloween. Uh, that's next week. This week, we are talking about... And now the end is near, <laughs> and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain... Is this the Sid Vicious I've version? I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. Are you going to finish? And more. <laughs> much more than this. I did it my way. Beautiful. Beautiful. Bravo. My goodness. That's not a very good song. I don't know why we let Frank Sinatra do that. Uh, are you trying to sing the Frank Sinatra version or are you trying I, to sing the, the cover version? Because you, you I, were doing a pretty good impression of the Sid Vicious version. I, I, I don't know what I was doing there. It was beautiful, it whatever was it was you were trying to do. Everyone <laughs> loves it so much when we do bits, Adam. We never get any feedback about them. <laughs> I have to assume it's fully positive and everyone loves it, especially my wife, who from three rooms away just yelled, what are you doing? <laughs> well, uh, I had the same reaction reading the books that we're talking about this week uh, and shouting out loud in my uh, home. What what are you doing uh, to the comic book as I was reading it? So what are we reading and who uh, cursed us with this? Oh, yeah. Uh, we haven't actually said that. We're reading all of the X-Men colon in the end. Uh, this comes to us from Patreon supporter Noah Zedman. If you want to be like Noah, you can go on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf. Reach deep down into your hearts and your pocketbooks and toss a couple coins into our coffers. Uh, we'll do an episode based around whatever really bad Lake Claremont stuff you want us to cover. Um, Adam and I have had very different reactions to this book. Adams is of, I don't want to speak for him, but it feels like it's out of a place of anger. We'll get into it, but I think we're going to have a different, see, I make the mistake sometimes of, <laughs> of as I'm reading these things, sharing my opinion online. And um, 
I don't know if it's so much a mistake as, as much it as um, it, it, it allows me to sort of vent as I'm going. And um, I have realized that there is a lot of uh, opinions about these books. Um, and some of them are more towards my side, which is the, uh, the, the hatred side. Um, but you have also indicated that, that you had enjoyed some of this, which I'm confused about. So, and, and there were people out there who definitely fell on that side. So I, I, well, I hate it when we use the word divisive, but I think these books are divisive. So I want to, I want to take what you, I love what you just said. I want to take it in a couple of different bites. Yes. Here's the first bite here. Okay. Yes, you absolutely made a mistake. Never talk about X-Men with anyone on the internet except for your good friend. That's how I live now, Adam, and I'm happier than I've ever been. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that is part of my Twitter brand, so um, difficult yeah, it to walk was, away from that. Adam, Adam, it was part of mine too. And do you know what I realized? That Twitter brand wasn't making me any money. And mm. It was negatively impacting my mental health mm. and maybe you don't need to have the opinions of seventeen thousand people yelling at you all at once oh i didn't think anybody was yelling at me but it, you're right it can just be. maybe not at you yelling in general that's too much yelling the human brain was not made for, for social all media. of this <laughs> uh the second thing you said that these books are divisive yeah um so you and me have talked recently i don't necessarily i want to start this episode out because we're gonna we're gonna get into this i'm not necessarily saying these books are good oh good I am saying, i'm glad we're starting there i am saying that i enjoyed myself reading these far more than you did because i am interested in these books if someone is going to say that actually x-men the end is an underrated masterpiece they are either someone with bad taste or me doing a bit. It's going to be one of the two. <laughs> I am so glad that you're telling me this because I was really worried that I was going to be coming in today and you were going to be telling me about this magnificent opus of Chris, Christopher Claremont. And I was going to have to just really do a wellness check. No, uh, <laughs> Adam, Adam, Adam. I was excited because my favorite episodes, my favorite episodes of this podcast are the ones where one of us is fighting that a story deserves to be in the 500s and not the 600s <laughs> because we because we're saying we all agree that this is bad but all right how bad is it and think, that is yeah. how i would describe x-men the end or i'm sorry we we've, we've done this a few times and we have to get it right uh we're covering all of x-men the end today so we are covering right. stanley presents x colon X-Men, colon The End, colon Book One, colon Dreamers and Demons. Stanley presents X-Men, colon The End, colon Book Two, colon Heroes and Martyrs. And Stanley presents colon X-Men, colon The End, colon Book Three, colon Men and X-Men. Each a six-issue miniseries coming out in between 2004 and 2006, written by Chris Claremont and illustrated entirely by Sean Chen with... Uh, Inks by Sandu Floria and colors by Avalon's Ian Hannon. Um, letters by Dave Sharp. So we are going to, we're going to rank each one of these uh, separately, but I do because think, I do a, think, I do think each six issue story is its own arc. I do think that there is a distinct beginning, middle and end of each six issue block. Yeah. I mean, as you would hope so. I mean, the, the, there is, um, though it is also meant to be read as one cohesive whole um, and make some kind of sense uh, if you're Chris Claremont. You I know, think this writing this. Down. I think this book, the plot is not that complicated. OK, the plot has a lot going on because the X-Men is big. So if you want to do the last story about the X-Men as a concept, you have to deal with 100 characters and that. That means that Chris Claremont does have his hands full because the faces I'm making. <laughs> well, let's start. Let's start with book one, because book one does does Chris Claremont a favor by spending six issues systemically murdering all the X-Men he's not interested in writing about for the other 12 issues. Right. And um, I think of the three books, this is definitely the messiest. Yes, um, I would. I would fully agree that this is the messiest and probably the weakest of the stories because it all kicks off um 
the first issue, a buck wild way to start this story. Because here are the here are the X-Men characters that appear in the first issue. The members the members of the team, the X-Men. Uh Phoenix. Right. Nightcrawler on the very last page. Mm-hmm. End of list. <laughs> and in between there, we get introduced to Deathbird and Bishop's daughter Aaliyah. Uh, we have the return it's, of oh, oh, let's let's talk about Aaliyah Bishop for one second. Yes, the, the main character of this, if there is a main character, mm-hmm. even though Chris mm-hmm. Claremont forgets about her for issues at a time. Yes, Chris Claremont did not invent Bishop, but obviously does have a soft spot. Like thinks Bishop was a good addition to the mm-hmm. roster. Yep. Has used him very frequently. Yep. Chris Claremont did invent Deathbird and also had a soft spot for her. Chris Claremont absolutely did not invent Bishop and Deathbird being in a relationship. And I do find a bit of a delight that he was like, okay, who am I pairing off with everybody? Uh, Bishop and Deathbird can get married and then their daughter can be the rightful heir of the Shi'ar throne. A story that Claremont did like four different times with multiple different characters. We should we should probably I didn't think we were going to get into this this early, but we really should get into the fact that because this is written when it's written, it originally when I thought what I thought we were going to be reading about was some far off future thing. This is not that this story is set 15 years after the current continuity of what's going on in the books of 2000 and 2004 after after Grant Morrison has finished and Chuck Austin. And Chuck Austin. Chuck Austin's still going for a bit. Chuck Austin still has a bit to go. But, but while this, this is happening, Austin stops and Claremont takes back over Uncanny. Right. But this is this is happening 2004. It is happening late Morrison, late Austin, end of X, Dream X-Men right. era. So we're getting a straight up sequel to all of that continuity. Like it's not forward thinking as in the end of new X-Men, right? It's not like we're going to jump a thousand. We're not doing a days of future past that here comes tomorrow. No, no, we are doing, this is a straight up sequel. So he's looking at all of this stuff that has happened and he's building off of it. So we do get, which I am baffled, baffled by fascinated. I love that actually. I love Chris Claremont sitting there and being like, yeah, Grant, I've read your comics. Here's what I would do with this. He's like, he is taking, he is taking what Grant Morrison is doing. And there are so many creators who refuse to do this. You see this with Morrison's X-Men for the longest time. No one wants to go back and touch anything like that. You see that constantly with Morrison's DC work that Morrison will introduce an idea and it'll take years for anyone else to be brave enough to touch it. And I really do respect that Chris Claremont walks in there and he says, I'm Chris Claremont. I'm going to do whatever I feel like with the X-Men. If you have given me a new toy, I will play with this toy. I'm fascinated by it. Does it work? We'll get there by the end. We will talk about does it work. Uh, well, this first book absolutely does not work. Um, it is rapid fire introducing everything that he possibly can from the canon. So we get the return of Jean Grey, who's apparently been dead since New X-Men. We yeah. get uh, Sinister has been uh, working secretly all along with uh, Tullamore Vogue and the slaver, the interdimensional slavers. Um we have honestly, I buy that. That's that's like okay. I get what you're coming from with this. And, one, and he's ang- and he's angry because the slavers promised him Jean Grey's genetic material, and they went back on that promise. I guess um, the slavers do have as their hounds right now, uh, Slipstream, who the surfboard riding guy, yep, yep. who Claremont invented and then seemingly just hates in this story, which is great. Uh, Siren and Multiple Man are there, as is Nocturne, a.k.a. T.J. Wagner, a.k.a. From the Exiles, right? Yes, because she is because she's very explicitly not just like Kurt's kid. She is a different T.J. Yep. 
because Kurt already has a kid named TJ. This is a different version of Exiles Nocturne who's in this because Exiles was also an ongoing book at the time and Nocturne was fairly popular. It's great that Claremont's like everything counts. Everything that's being published right now counts. Yes, especially if he wrote some of it. Um, we Absolutely, because Vargas is here, baby. We get introduced to the idea of uh, Jubilee being a film director who has made Nightcrawler into a movie star. Um, we get the uh, Cecilia Ray's beast relationship. They're like kind of like commune hippies uh, who, who everyone a medical clinic. That honestly, that makes sense to me too. I'd they, buy that as well. They are both um, doctors, I guess. Everyone has so many kids. Everybody Everyone has, has so a many good kids. Catholic family is kind of a beautiful thing here. Rogue and Gambit have many kids. Scott and Emma have many kids. God help you if you can tell any of them apart or have even could sustain what their names are. It, Do not know a single one of their names. I will nope. cop to that. No. And, um, you know, like you, you'd be forgiven if you were confused when Scott glances over at uh, his brother Havoc in some sort of crystal castle waving with some children and going, wait, what's going on? Are they alive? Oh, are they dead? No, they're, they're dead. That's oh, a... they're dead. But Carter, the, the small, terrible child from Chuck Austin's X-Men uh, is dealing with the trauma of his mother and Havoc dying. And it's made his own thing. Yep. And it you, rules. You know, the other kids can, ha- no, it does not rule. Uh, the, the other kids can hang in it and uh cable is off uh fighting terrorists in the hindu kush with claremont loves himself some hindu kush that's uh, not a euth- euphemism he just really enjoys that location yes and um you know he's with irene right his yeah, uh, I- reporter friend irene merriweather uh yeah. yeah his reporter friend who we find out Claremont's idea was actually she was possessed by Apocalypse the whole time in his vassal. And then Apocalypse immediately dies after we find this out. Chris, what are you doing? The um, the fourth issue of the first arc is just baffling. It involves X-Force getting into a fight with the Marauders. The right who involve a... Uh, a shape changer who's in Storm's extreme X-Men costume. Uh, Domino is right. Possessed. That's 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 Shaitan from extreme X-Men. That well, was an ongoing concern. I understand that, but like, she was the Lieutenant of Khan. Don't again, you remember your extreme X-Men? I, I, Irene, Irene is apocalypse for one page before he's killed. Um, Cable and several other of the members of X-Force are turned into uh technarchy um, oh yeah that's by technarchs uh you know technarchs right from chris claremont's uh heroes reborn colon doom number one no um and most of most of the marauders you don't recognize except for shaitan are from chris claremont's uh heroes reborn colon doom number one and we this this final two issues of this first arc culminates with an attack on the x mansion um, by the reveal of, of this trio who then turns out again, not to be this trio, the reveal rules, the reveal. I hooted and hollered. Cause I had forgotten. I was like, this, I don't remember this happening, but I'm very excited about it. I- I'm glad somebody was. Oh, Adam, 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 you're telling me that the idea that, uh, strife, Tyler Dayspring and Madeline Pryor destroying the X mansion wasn't enough for you to like rip off your shirt and go like, Oh yeah, let's go baby. This is what I love in comics. Okay. That's fine. (laughs) First of all, it makes no damn sense, but I'm not saying it does, but it's revealed very, very quickly that these characters along with others like Ahab who are attacking various members of the X-Men are not who they say they are. Except for, Madeline, who absolutely is. Hold on, we'll get to Madeline because that's freaking ridiculous. I really have to hold myself off from cursing here. Um, they're war scrolls, and oh, you remember the war scrolls from as we have so elegantly put it, those stories around Uncanny X Men two seventy five. 
And the X-Mansion is destroyed, but not before we learn that not only is Madeline Pryor actually Madeline Pryor, but she overhears Scott Summers giving some sort of loving testimony to his dead, long dead uh, ex-wife Madeline Pryor aloud for some reason. And she assumes the identity of the now dead Dust. Dust tries to attack her. Madeline stops her and then takes Dust's clothes and is hiding in the back room around as Dust for the rest of this miniseries. I'm speechless. Like, Claremont is on, like, peak Claremont juice here, man. He Every single yes. character is not the character that they say they are. They are someone yes. or something else. And yes. in such rapid succession, it is... It, it boggles the brain. It is you're like, saying all of these things that I agree with, but I feel like you're saying them in a negative connotation, Adam. Zach, it's terrible. Every new page has like this mishmash of not only his tropes, but also like all of his greatest mistakes and worst inventions. And it's like, we're supposed to be like, yay, this is what the hell is going on. And by the last page, when we realize that Professor X is still in Genosha with Magneto and tentacle armed Callisto, I see where in continuity at this time as Claremont was writing Excalibur volume three. Like, of course they're not still there. Why does Callisto still have tentacle arms, Chris? Because she likes them. And of course the last uh, page also starts to show off Jean Grey's wonderful new back tattoos, which are going to become very, very important later on. Um, Jean Grey does have back tattoos, uh, an idea that Chris Claremont would later use for Rachel. Yeah. Um, Yeah, It's great. Testing stuff. It's not great. So many X-Men do die. Uh, I I saw commentary about this. Like, oh, man, look at all these X-Men who die. It's really sexist. I'm like, no, Chris Claremont's just killing everybody, folks. There's some great ideas in this. Martha Johnson is Cerebro now. Martha Johnson is Cerebro. The Cuckoos are the Spikes now. Whatever. It's a bad name, but I Claremont's immediately and like, yeah, these guys can be, this can be a whole Cerebro thing. This is awesome. Yes. Uh, Everyone gets a good moment. Wolfsbane literally does yell out to tell Danny that I love her before she dies. Mm -hmm. Like this book is very unsubtle about Danny and Wolfsbane are soulmates who love each other and who are going to be taken apart forever. Uh, Danny has her own weird arc where she does some hella stuff on the side that never really goes anywhere. Well, we haven't gotten to that part, but she has gotten to that. Part she's yet. imprisoned in uh, Mr. Sinister's Neverland. Um, oh yeah. Neverland, which Neverland's the next arc. We'll get into it. We'll more. get into Neverland. It's, we'll get into Neverland. Again, all of these things that we are talking about get like, two pages. So you're just getting six issues of these little shots and spurts of things. And you are expected to tie it all together in your mind. And it is like, it's, it's like a very poorly assembled collage of like bad comics that you don't want to go back and read. And it makes an even worse comic. Like that's the, this first thing is just so poorly constructed and terrible. I think it's a bad comic that I desperately want to understand. And that's different for me. Yeah, but it's bad comics that I Mm. never want to touch again. I kind of want to immediately go back and map out how X-Men colon the end colon book one colon dreamers and demons works. I, on the other hand, would like to never see a damn page of this again. And I think part of it also not aside from the scripting, which I think is just bad. um, And the ideas, which are also bad. Um, ideas are great. The, ideas never die. Uh, <laughs> yes, let's put Storm in a metal casket and have her float unsupervised in the pool. That what makes no sense. Um, that one. That one. Was this exactly at the time? Did this start coming out right when Storm was in rehab during Extreme X Men? Because I think the timing works out and that would make a lot of sense. Sure. Claremont is just just keeping 
keeping that going. It doesn't matter because in the next arc, she's just going to be normal. She's fine. And she'll she, be normal she, for the rest of the miniseries. She figure she figures out how to beat uh, being paralyzed because yep. she's Storm. Yep. Which um, is actually, I think, how it worked in Extreme X Men as well. But I think we also, um, because Sean Chen is the the artist on all of this, we have to talk about the artwork, which is not good. Um, oh yeah, th- that that is a problem with this, and that Sean Chen just is doing Marvel House style of two thousand and four. You know what? This is gonna. I, I hope this is not unfair. And I, I, I hate making this comparison, giving, given who the person is that I'm going to compare the artwork to, but it feels like EVS fill in art for yeah. new X-Men. That's what it feels like. And yeah, no, it does. It's bad. It's real bad. The costume designs are bad. The character work is bad and the, the page layouts are bad and the, the visual storytelling of what is going on here. Um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with Sean's work, so I'm hoping he has better stuff out there, but this, this is, it's not helping the already convoluted script at all. So I think we're in agreement that this is the worst of the three and that it it will get at least a modicum better as we go. Um, I mean, our mileage is going to vary, but why don't we try and rank this one and at least get a starting point? So we rank comics on this list. We've already alluded to it. Uh, we rank them from best to worst. The number one story is the House of X powers of 10. Uh, we have 696 stories on this list on our road to 700, which we are rapidly approaching. X-Men Alpha Flight is at 100. Um, X-Force Volume 4, 11 through 15, Us versus Them is at 200. And number 300 is X-Force 44, Enter the Purple Era. Uh, at number 400 is X-Men Kingbreaker. Uh, number 500 is the Five Lights arc of Uncanny X-Men. Uh, number 600 on our list is that arc where Beast joins the Avengers. And then the Draco is at the bottom. Um, Adam, you have something highlighted here at 651. Excalibur 1 through 4, Forging the Sword. Yes. Insane. Insane, Insane? that this is that bad. Okay, this is definitely worse than Phoenix War Song and End Song at 646 and 647. I would slot this in between End Song and for Excalibur Forging the Sword at 651. I think Hold that on. that's where we're at. This is definitely a 600 story. I cannot fathom putting it ahead of at 600. We have um, at first that Time Beast joins the team. Time Beast joins the team. It, it's just there's no way. I mean, come on. You think that this is, here's what I'll say. It's not better than Revolutions at 613. You have X-Men Forever highlighted. I do have X-Men Forever 1 through 5 highlighted. X-Men Forever? Give him a damn Eisner compared to this. Like, that is at least coherent. This is nonsense. Is X-Men Forever 1 through 5 coherent? Uh, Compared to this. Compared to this, Zach. And we are going to go up. I promise you, but this first arc is absolute garbage. It is, is this terrible um, and it's not doing this, any of the things that you like that we're going to talk about in the other two. This is true. Um, do you really think that this is worse than the mutant X goblin force arc that went on for far too long? Yes, absolutely. That at least has some fun art and like some cool character design. Like I'm, I'm on board for the first couple of issues of mutant X and, and Madeline craziness. At least Madeline isn't dressing up like dust in that one yet. That one's. I am right. I, underst- <laughs> I understand that it is inappropriate for her to dress up in dust's clothes. Madeline Pryor is a bad person. So this makes sense that she would do this as a, as a thing. It makes um, no sense. Here's what I will say. She would never. Maddie absolutely would. You're insane. She would, uh, and she would, and she would take. Well, I'm not going to get into this because that didn't happen in this arc. Let's stick to the arc, <laughs> Adam. Stick to the arc, and not not how she it. changes stick her dialect. It. Okay, go ahead. Maddie's doing her best. Um, I would say let's split War Song and End Song because I think this is better than End Song. All right, I will give it to you. So this is going to be our new 647. The X Men 
the end. Stanley presents. <laughs> Stanley presents colon. Colon. The end. Colon. Book one. Colon. Dreamers. Dreamers and demons. and demons. Hey, those are not two diametrically opposed facets right there. I have. I do have this problem with the naming of this. It's heroes and martyrs. Also, not diametrically opposed. Those often are the same thing. Dreamers and demons. Not a thing that are like against you. Men and X-Men. That's a wild poll, Chris. That's a weird one. It's very strange. Uh, and, and each issue also has its own subtitle, too. So, man, my some favorite, of the headings- My favorite of all of them does happen in this arc that we were just talking about, uh, which is the full title of number two, with, which is Stanley Presents, colon, X-Men, colon, The End, colon, Book One, colon, Dreamers and Demons, colon, Omen's Importance. Number it, two. That happens multiple times. It's absolutely bananas. Like, uh, the number of words. Um, never, never. Never enough words. Never change, Christopher. <laughs> uh, Some people think we hate Chris Claremont, and I think that's a wild choice. He provides us with many <laughs> gifts, doesn't he? We so, wouldn't be here. I do have a signed Battle of the Atom sticker from Chris Claremont after I fought with him for a while. Listen, Papa Chris, we love Papa. you. Papa, uh, your your work is fundamental. Um, X Men: The End is trash. Um, Let's so talk about s- the second part. Yeah, so we spent so yeah. long. Wow, we spent a half an hour talking about this. Okay, so the second book begins- we didn't even mention how Kitty's running for mayor of New York against the racist girl from Mechanics. Yes. Oh my God. More Claremont polls. Okay. So X mansion is it's blown up. So 2004. I love it. I love There's, how he just said, let's assume that we're telling the seminal stories for these characters in 2004. It feels very much of its time, which means it's bad. Um, so the X mansion is blown up. There's a big crater there and X shape. Um, the crater. Well, no, it starts with the mansion being blown up X shape and then it gets blown up even more Acura style. We learned that Gambit has abducted all of the uh, LeBeau rogue children and all of the Summers uh, Frost children and brought them to Sinister, but we're not sure why. Mr. Sinister called in his marker finally. Yes. Um, North Star dies. North Star dies, and that's, that's not notable because a lot of people dies. In so much that it was the third time North Star died in a given month. And he was <laughs> right. Marvel's pretty much only gay character at the time. Yeah, we've mentioned that. Not, not great. We've had to mention it each time it happens. Because yeah. it is just, oh, all three of these books were edited through different offices, which is why this happened. And two of them were alternate universes. So they didn't think about, about it. But yeah, it all happens the same month. It's wild. So War Scrolls continue to impersonate various members of the X-Men like Domino and they continue their attack. Um, and we're, we didn't mention this in the, in the first part because there was just so much going on there. That there's so there's much going also on. Also a subplot happening with the Shi'ar who become very vital to this story because a Lalandra may or may not be behind this attack. She has a right. new, what is he? The chancellor that is uh, who we learn will have a, a, a secret identity. And um, that do we want to spoil we reveal that? Secret identity? Yeah, let's just say it. Who is it? I have to remember his name because it's Khan. No, wait. Yeah, it is Khan. I'm sorry. I got Khan <laughs> and Vargas mixed up. It's Khan from from Extreme X-Men. It's yes. Khan, uh, the multidimensional warlord Khan. It's weird. Like. You have Aaliyah Bishop in Phoenix and Nightcrawler in Binary, who is now the Starjammer's ship. Yeah. Like, fully after destroying the brood, after sacrificing her body to destroy the brood. Even though she then finds out that the brood is still alive and, and has Well, advanced. that's because the slavers took the brood from an alternate dimension and brought them into our dimension. Right. And then one of those brood infected Aaliyah Bishop uh, after the brood had already made a deal with Khan and the... Shi'ar, and even though we say it's Khan and the Shi'ar, it's actually our secret third special villain, which we haven't mentioned yet, and we're saving. Um, yeah, let's re- let's 
Let's save that because I know that's what you're most We're saving about. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you under you have now understood why I'm like. Oh, I know why. This, I'm yeah, full speed ahead. I understand completely. Um, so we have uh, you know all this stuff happening with uh, Aaliyah and Jean Grey, uh, Binary and Nightcrawler. They're all trying to wake up uh, Nocturne on uh, the Starjammer. Kitty is running for mayor, but also trying to dig through destiny's diaries, which never really comes to much. Um, never comes to much. Manoli Weatherall's hanging out, interviewing all the X-Men constantly. Yep. Yep. I think Neil Manoli's still doing a great job. Yeah. In Neil Conan I guess this uh, makes would, a quick cameo. 2020. This would have been, this would have happened just a few years ago. If it mm-hmm. was 15 years after. Yeah. Look, Manoli, Manoli, Neil looking great. Uh, Kitty gets hit in the head with a brick during a, uh, an appearance in public appearance and makes a passionate plea to the public. One of Kitty's supporters. Who's an actual child does get hate crimed and murdered. Yeah. Uh, somebody who was just kind of walking around handing out flyers for her. Um, and, uh, so we've got actual, you know, vicious hate crimes happening as, as a result of this election, to the point where the the debate between her and uh, her opponent, you know, it's it's some rough stuff. Um, it is. Tell me Kitty's- if you think that that whole thing fits into this book, because there is that ongoing story throughout all three books of Kitty, who eventually at the end will rise in office, and we'll we'll talk about that. But right, um, it does feel like it's very disconnected to all of the other shenanigans that are happening. It does. I do understand thematically why Chris Claremont has it there. And he makes a point several times because Kitty wants to go with the X-Men and he's saying, no, it's equally important that we like, if we are going to integrate into this society and that's what the X books were at this time about how do we all live together in harmony of the very idealistic look, then it's important that humans can accept mutants. And yeah. Kitty Pride being elected president or mayor in this case, she becomes president. Guys, sorry for the spoiler. You all knew this probably. Um, that's an important part of this. I feel. I also feel like the fact that Kitty has to break away from the story four different times to say no, you can't come on our fun space mission means that maybe it's not as well integrated into everything as it should. No, it 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 does feel uh, very very distinct, but. Kitty um, does in this arc very explicitly say, man, I shouldn't have used as many slurs when I was a kid. Yes, I did appreciate that. And it feels like Claremont going back and apologizing for uh, some of his previous scripts. It's Claremont in 2005 being like, you know, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> shouldn't have I should have found bomb. a different way. I should have found a different way to do that in one of the most seminal stories of all time that will always be remembered. Yeah. Um, Unfortunate that he apologizes for it in this book that no one, no one will read. Exactly. All right. Now I want to make a concession here. Okay. Okay. There is one thing that I loved. I know what you love. X-Men the end. And it, it happens in, uh, I think it's the fourth issue of the second arc. Um, it's the part where all of the XSE has all of their biggest dreams being shown to them by something or another. And X 23s is sitting there eating shrimp off of her claws while her husband Phantom X brings her drinks. Um, that's no. it, right? No, that was not it. It was Folks, not. That's, that's, that's not me. That's not me doing a bit. This is just textually what's on the page here in a beautiful panel. Absolute nonsense. No, the absolute nonsense that I loved is that we do get the reveal that Gambit is the third Summers brother because and he is the clone slash son of Mr. Sinister who removes his diamond and goes back to human flesh, Caucasian flesh form. Uh, it's like rules. Rules. I can't fault rules. I have no notes. Chris, good job. Great. He's like, finally, I'm going to take off this diamond. You're like the diamond comes off. <laughs> What's going on with this? By the way, if you're, if you're curious how Gambit being a clone slash son of Mr. Sinister makes him a Summers brother. It's because Sinister was like, oh yeah, I also took Scott Summers DNA and threw that into you while, while we were at it. Right. I just, while I was making you, I, I really liked this guy. So I, I just, I just threw him in there with some uh, seasoning. 
Oh my God. Um, it rules. You, you mentioned the visions of these uh, X-Men living out their fantasies because they are given to them by petrified ladies mastermind. Um, is that a good way of describing this? That each one of them is a statue that is then working through sinister technology to provide these their I'm not I'm not I'm not here to explain Mr. Sinister's whole deal. Listen, man, <laughs> I don't know this is an example of where mastermind. this is where the example of like what is going on in the page does not make any sense. It's like it's I, mostly I vibes. Uh, hold on. At this point, it is mostly vibes. Yeah. You're like they're doing psychic stuff. That's great. Uh, because the big thing is Rogue, who is being possessed by Emma, kind of Rogue has touched Emma. So Emma is living through Rogue right now. Right, they're uh, one so person. Emma got hurt, sort of. Uh, which means Rogue is wearing Emma's clothes, which is fun, especially because and Emma's getting Rogue's tattoos that she definitely had at this time, and everyone remembers Rogue having her full sleeve. Actually, Rogue, go back to that. Great look for you, girl. There's a lot of tribal tattoos in this series. <laughs> there really are. It's, it's that's what Extreme X Men was all about, baby. Yeah. Um, um, we also they, get. The, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say they go and it finds out Gambit was double, triple crossing sinister or whatever, and does save all the children. Gambit's not an evil guy in this. Well, this happens after sinister dresses up like Gambit and then stabs rogue slash Emma in the gut. Um, that happens. That's weird. Like, where did he get a second? gambit uniform i don't know and then i don't know immediately after we learned that dark <laughs> beast did i mention dark beast is here along with another group of people like techno dark beast being here was weird and claremont pays that off because we're just thinking oh he's just doing some weird dark beast being around stuff that's fine that's an x-men character nope it turns out it's mystique who then immediately stabs mr sinister right. again so no notes on this one that's great it's it's wild uh which means that not only does rogue die um but gambit then assumes the role with full costume including the diamond and the white paint of mr sinister for our final arc again perfect love it so much if you've ever wanted to see mr sinister throwing playing cards x-men the end has you covered so when we're talking about this arc did i did we get through everything that's in this arc did i miss something no that's no, it right there's it no finishes with Adam. kitty crying at her debate because she's learning about what's happening to the rest of the this X-Men. yeah this this arc is the whole sinister storyline which i do feel like if there was anything that you could if there was anything in x-men the end that you could consider padding it's probably this middle section here you could probably jump from the first part to the last part with sure minimal you could cut you could cut the sinister storyline if you wanted to lose the fun gambit parts, which yes, which unfortunately is the most fun thing that I'm having while I'm reading this story. Um, the, well, it takes all kinds. The first uh, couple issues of this arc are again still kind of jumbled nonsense, but it's definitely a lot more readable and coherent than the first one. Is it an enjoyable story? I mean, I I had fun with the sinister nonsense, but that was about it. But that's mainly because I just I like Mr. Sinister nonsense and I love Summer's brothers nonsense. And so this he is does fine. have both of those. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not as unglued. Like it's not jumping around as much as the first one. It is, it is a much more focused arc, which yeah. I can appreciate. It has less to do. Um, but the stuff that it does is fun. Uh, you do get rogue immediately dying gambit rejoining the x-men and saying and now i am going to leave my children with my mother-in-law who's a terrorist <laughs> and not right. be with them in their time of need because i need to go do some x-men stuff. i just kidnapped all of them and all of their friends brought them to mr sinister so much trauma launched put, stuffed them in a glass jar made them trick uh, the guards to get themselves out but then their mom is dead <laughs> And I'm giving them over to Mystique. Oh my god! Hey, hey, hey! It was his gambit. It's gambit. It was his queen's gambit, and Rogue was his queen. Oh my god! And do you know what? Do you know what happens when you do a queen's gambit? Uh, you Sometimes you lose the queen. It's <laughs> really this is this is some chess chess thoughts that Chris yes. is having here. Oh my god! Listen, right. wife guy gambit, great. Um, 
Dad guy? This story. Not so much. Da- Gambit's a bad dad, and I don't think anyone is shocked by nope, this. Not arguing. Um, this is better than the first arc. Yes. Um, and I would concede we're probably in the five hundreds, not we're moving the on 600s. up. Moving on up. Um, um this is better than uh the Emma Frost solo series, that first arc. Yeah, I don't think we're better than Iceman Volume One though at five eighty four. Probably not. Yeah. Um better than how do you feel about it compared to Onslaught, X Force, X Man at five eighty seven? I'm thinking. Um probably exactly on par. Okay. Because this is probably better than Nightcrawler Volume 3, 7 to 12, The Winding Way. I didn't like that very much at all. This is probably better than Marvel Superheroes 10 and 11, those unpublished issues of Ms. Marvel plus the weird epilogue. Okay. So you want to slot it in between these? Yeah, let's put it at our new 588. Perfect. I think that's a, a pretty good spot for... You know, it is better than the first arc. I, I will, I will concede that. Is it good? Uh, no, I don't know about that. Um, but now, of course, we have to get into volume three. Uh, Let's is, talk about some great comic books that Chris Claremont did. I don't know about great, but uh, certainly, Let's talk about, certainly interesting. So the War Scrolls, we find out that the Shi'ar definitely sent them. Charles Xavier is not happy about this because uh, his paramour is Lalandra. He was the mm-hmm. consort. Yes. As we know. Yeah. Does Lalandra have a secret child with Charles Xavier that he didn't know about? Absolutely. And Charles Xavier saying here, like, how does this keep happening to me? <laughs> At a certain, listen, he's a bad dad to Legion. At a certain point, it's not his fault that multiple children were hidden from him throughout his, like, Throughout their lives. Yes. And this one specifically was hidden because the Shi'ar are still reeling from the events of um, uh, the Ark of New X-Men Imperial, where Cassandra Nova was inside of Charles Xavier's body and almost, you know, basically caused the end of all that is. We'll get back to that. We will. We will. But that is why Zavi, not Zandra, Zavi is being hidden from Charles Xavier, supposedly. So the X-Men have declared war on the Shi'ar Empire. Yes. Uh, they make contact with Phoenix, who's like, yeah, we'll meet you there. Uh, so that's how that happens. What we didn't mention is that Aaliyah Bishop gets infected by the Brood Queen and is now uh, now has a brood in her. Yep. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go where you want it to, unfortunately. Nope. does not become a brood. Spoiler alert spoiler spoiler alert um but anyway they're heading there gambit and some others jump on a different ship to head there while the rest of the x-men form a wormhole with the opposing magnetic poles of polaris and magneto uh sure jump into this is how science works adam i can't argue science uh to jump into the imperium and get into a big old fight with the Imperial Guard, which is great. Uh, the strain ends up being too much for them, and Polaris does die, as does Magneto. But Magneto keeps his form together magnetically, temporarily, to keep fighting this last great fight. Which, again, it ruled when Al Ewing did it. It still rules here. It's a little different. He doesn't have like a giant hole in him to keep himself, you know, his, his no his body. He has running. a nothing. His but entire he's... body has disintegrated and he yes. has nothing but magnetism. Yes. I think it's also worth noting that on the Polaris side, uh, Claremont does take a second to acknowledge the passionate relationship that Polaris had with Bobby and that, Listen. you know, <laughs> that needs to be brought up. <laughs> it. Did we also mention that before the uh, battle begins that, uh, you know, the um, Phoenix allows Wolverine and Jean Grey to go like have sex on a like imaginary planet somewhere just for funsies for a couple pages. She's already told Scott to live Scott live and him and Emma have a great life with many children. 
let Wolverine have this one. Even though I do think it's very disrespectful to Wolverine's current wife, Storm. Storm. Phoenix's best friend. Storm. In this story. I think. This is, I think, this is bizarre that Storm does not get anything to do in this story, isn't it? It is weird that his favorite character is not like shoehorn into maybe he could only choose between storm and kitty and he chose uh kitty which makes sense though i don't know wolverine also gets very little to do in this story it's true it's true which is it's not the star it's just an odd choice i'm fine with us not having a like a big wolverine focus on this it is a weird choice given that he's the star of the x-men yep um they all get into a big fight yep and we also, we also, I, I know you want to get to the big, the big thing. We also get uh, Gambit Sinister leading uh, Technarchs infected Cable and Rachel uh, on their own mission, right? Yep. Uh, against the Chancellor, aka Khan. And then we get the big reveal that Lalandra is. Well, well, let's, let's start out. We find out that Khan's the bad guy. Gambit blows up Khan. That's great. Right. What we find out is that Lalandra did absolutely send the War Scrolls. Except for it's not Lalandra anymore. Do you know nope. who it is, Adam? Do you know who it is? You know, reveal you that really is want, so good. <laughs> you really it's want so me good. to say? You yes. want me to say? Um, it's Cassandra Nova. It's Cassandra Nova, baby. That's right. Chris Claremont's like, okay, I love that. I love that we gave... A Shadow King that's better than the Shadow King. That's the Shadow King's big problem is Cassandra Nova ate his lunch immediately. So Cassandra Nova's in this story and... Cassandra Nova's in this Chris Claremont story from 2006. This is the first person to touch Cassandra Nova that is not Grant Morrison. (laughs) Immediately, he's like, oh yes, this is obviously... Chris Claremont recognizes this is the biggest bad guy for the X-Men now. Perfect. So the rest of the... He does so much work, too, to, like, tie it back into the status quo Morrison left Cassandra Nova in. Oh, stuff yeah. is here? Stuff is here. And he and she puts Xavier into stuff and back into the classroom that Morrison left Cassandra Nova in. This is, like, Sean Chen is doing his darndest on this one to, like, he's no Frank Quietly, but he is trying here. Like, he's that's, getting... That's why it feels like fill-in art. It does. I'm not disagreeing. He is trying, and I appreciate that. Uh, so the rest of the X-Men go through the wormhole. There's giant fights. Archangel gets, like, disintegrated in, in the sky. I'll There's a lot of great future fights. Past. I don't think any of this is great. Um, you're getting ahead of yourself. And we do get to a point where Lala, uh, the, the Cassandra takes... Professor X's body over again, I believe, after we yep. get Aaliyah reuniting with Bishop, her father. Uh, the problem is Aaliyah has the the brood, and the brood, after escaping from the slavers, um, did cut a deal with uh, Cassandra Nova and Khan and that whole cabal to take over this universe. And then the brood was like, well, we are subservient to no one. We are the brood. And anyway, the brood die again. Uh, Could have just not had the brood in this one, Chris. I'm going to be yeah, real with you. It's another added thing because we we get Aaliyah versus Zavi. So we get brood versus Cassandra Nova because Cassandra Nova is controlling the boy. <sighs> we get uh, Madeline Pryor, you know, revealing herself. Let's talk about Madeline Pryor. Because okay. she's like, Scott, it was me the whole time. And he's like, yeah, I know, Madeline. We were married for a very long time. I recognize you were doing something weird. I just wasn't commenting on it. I feel like you were going to bring it up in your own time. So I was letting you. This is in the middle of all of Scott's best friends dying horribly around. Well, this this comes at a pivotal moment when Cable whips out his scimitar and stabs Cassandra Nova and is getting zapped back by Cassandra Nova. Needs some some re, re, telepathic, telekinetic reinforcements. So Madeline comes to the rescue only for Cassandra Nova to sick Laura on Madeline Pryor. Um, God, this is convoluted. There's just so much. Going a lot's on. happening. Uh, it is, I Cable, love that. Cable in the dies. Last X-Men story. In the last X-Men story, Chris Claremont's like, but we also need to give Madeline Pryor a moment to redeem herself. Yeah. 
Cable dies and we assume that Jean Grey is going to be like, oh, okay, let me use the powers of Phoenix and bring you back. Only for Cassandra Nova to kill Jean Grey and assume the power of the Phoenix. Great twist ending. Love it so much. Um, what ends up happening eventually? Uh, the Phoenix takes over. They do all this stuff. And uh, Phoenix decides that actually everyone needs to come to some level of understanding and uh, form into what the Phoenix tattoos are, which are, of course, uh, the Tree of Life from the Kabbalah. You heard that right. Okay, but thanks to Al Ewing, we have all been made aware of Chris Claremont's original intent that the Phoenix was like tied into Kabbalistic Jewish mysticism. Like that was Claremont was going with that the entire time. And now it's a hundred percent true. And that's, that's where, that's where we are now. Uh, I mean, it's, it's what's happening in this story. It rules. Listen, if Al Ewing did this, Al Ewing is currently doing this and we're saying it's great. Is it because Javier Rodriguez is drawing it? Yes. Is it also, but also it's great. Otherwise it's also probably a lot better written than anything that we're seeing on the page here, because this kind Listen, of crap just have pops to, up and just happens for no reason whatsoever. And instead of Cassandra Nova being battled to the last, she just kind of like decides to hold hands with professor X so that their faces, because she comes to stars. understanding and balance. She has made it. She has made it to, uh, Tifrit in the tree of life where all energy flows. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm just saying, look, man, I know you're jazzed about this. Cause like, I look. love it. It's a great ending because they also do a modified tree of life where the tree of life is the Phoenix. I, I applaud. I applaud Chris for incorporating as much Morris in here as he does not enjoying myself reading any of this. Uh, no, I've been, I've become, I have, uh, I have now decided that this is, this is good comics at this point. By this ending, I am like, let's go. Actually, this, this rules as the final ending of all the X-Men of Cyclops and Storm and all of our friends ascending into the tree of life and balance. Uh, well, Kitty Pride finally fixes mutant human relationships on earth. Well, I was going to say, uh, you might assume that once the X-Men on, on the blue section of the moon, uh, assume the positions in the tree of life that we might get an end of Evangelion situation and that, you know, the, there might be a rapture or something. Oh no. 20 years later, Kitty is president and they have a memorial service for all the dead X-Men. So we learned that the, uh, the intro pages on each of issues one through six of this last third have been her, uh, her funeral speech. Yeah. Speech. What, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, not eulogy. eulogy. Thank you. Um, uh, okay. I, 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 I can't help, but express how exhausted I was by the time I got to the end of this about all of the Claremont, Oh, and I, I feel like this lives as a, as a living document for why the X office should never allow Chris Claremont into current continuity again to interpret the Krakowicz. You and me took incredibly different approaches to this because I actually saw this as the best piece of evidence that they should let Chris Claremont do something weird. Like give him, give him boundaries, give him his own little circle, but say, Chris, you're tying this to what's going on today in continuity. And let me see what's Chris Claremont's weird take on all this where he has to play nice with others. I would love to see it because this is Claremont playing very nice with Morrison's ideas and what Morrison had redefined the X-Men to be, no matter what Chris's personal feelings were. And I think it rules because it's a beautiful synthesis of Morrison and Claremont that you do not get for years and years after this. Like, 
people won't touch the Morrison stuff. They go back into Astonishing X-Men, which is pretty much just jerking off to Chris Claremont, John Byrne comics for a while. So I really like that we got this going on. I agree that it is a synthesis. Is it a beautiful synthesis? No, it is not. It is it is making reference to these things, but it's also trying to pull all the threads together from all of these different things that don't go together. It's like throwing pickles onto peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like it just That's X-Men, baby. And no. There have to be like, and I realize what you're 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 suggesting in terms of her Crowen book would be, you know, under a lot more editorial um Yeah, control. yeah. No, we are we are not letting Chris Claremont just there, like do whatever he wants. He has to have like three layers of checks yeah, on that first. There but. are no checks here. This is just he's making like the ultimate 26 layer sandwich in the kitchen. Yeah. With nobody paying attention. And that's why it tastes bad. Um, it's it's just all the ingredients out of the fridge and they don't all make good for a good sandwich. So that's my metaphor. Let's rank this one. I think this is. I have a ceiling. I have a ceiling. Yeah, right, you hear right, my yeah, ceiling. Okay. I know you're my ceiling is this. One. This is not better than number 495, Weapon X, the draft Sauron. That's a weird pick because that's not. I just, I'm looking at this and Weapon X, the draft Sauron is better than this. The Firestar Mini is better than this. Wolverine Enemy of the State's better than this. Yeah. All those Um, stories are better than this. I will say it's got mediocre art and there's a lot going on in it. You know, I'm, I'm looking at what's around this and I, I don't really want to argue about it because I don't. I mean, I'm just, I think you're in the right place on the list, honestly. So 504 is Astonishing X-Men 1 through 6, The Life of X. I think this is a better comic than that. Okay. I'm fine with that. Um, I mean, this is better than the Muir Island saga at 502. I don't think this is better than Emperor Vulcan at 501. I can accept that, actually. Yeah. I can give you the Muir Island saga, though. So we'll put this in at 502. Yeah, this is our new 502. It's Stanley presents colon X-Men colon the end colon book three colon men and X-Men. Whew. You know what's interesting? I feel like my energy level like dived as we did this episode and yours went like pew <laughs> skyrocketed. That's, that's because we are we are the diametric opposites on the tree of life, Adam. Oh, we I I don't know, man. You're you must be on one wing and I'm on the other, apparently, of the Phoenix. So um this was a fun, fun conversation. Oh, wait, we're not talking about Generation Next or Gen Next or, or people, Gen Next United. That was the other so thing we're not, people... We're not, going, we're not going right into the story about uh, 20 years later, the, the children of a bunch of the X-Men all grown up. You mean this wasn't the end, Zach? It was the beginning? <laughs> it was the beginning. Hey, when comics say never the end or the beginning at the end, it's great every time. No question mark? Just a question mark? Um. Oh boy. All right. So just, just a question. I know yeah. you don't know anything about generation next. I've heard it's uh, or generation next United. United. Oh, it's bad. I've heard it's uh, I won't even try and defend it. Do you think it has problematic body swaps, man? It's a Claremont book. Of course it does. Oh buddy. It's got problematic body swaps. Does it at least have the shadow King? I cannot tell you. I don't remember. I want to say yes. Okay. I, All right. Just making sure he's there's, true there's, there is a, acceptable shadow king equivalent at minimum of course there's always has to be you know oh man what a ride noah zedman thank you so much for this (laughs) gift that you have given me i told adam this would be a fun episode to record even if we disagreed about it and you were right adam we have 699 stories on our list (gasps) you know what that means that means we're on the road to 700 next week adam we're on the road to 700 next week we get to 700 next week Uh, next week is our Halloween special. Ooh. Um, it's going to come out on Halloween. That's yeah. the day it comes out. Mm, I don't have anything else I want to think. Thanks, Noah. Give me money on Patreon. It goes to literally everyone except for me. Yep. ComicsXF.com. No, Patreon.com slash ComicsXF. Hearts and Minds. Deep Pocketbooks. Am I saying that right? No. No. Folks, you can it's always you follow me right on, on the NYCC thing. It's fine. I, I'm not mad at all. At <laughs> well, then I, I was making, I fun only of say it. it literally every week to you. <laughs> I might be making fun of it now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you make fun of 
the muffled the muffled speech from Queensryche's opus Operation Mind Crime track one I remember now how dare I uh folks you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy if you missed the NYCC episode go back and listen to it pretty cool interviews um and um what else do I got going on oh I've been doing some Andor coverage for the website if you like Star Wars and uh like Zach said we'll be back next week with Halloween that's right uh next week's halloween and until then folks this has been bow the atom and we hope you survived the experience Get it!